I think just always having these other projects that you just love doing, whether you make money from it or not. Um, I, I never set out to like make money from ceramics. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and I'm really excited you're listening today. We have ceramic artist Julie Cloutier. Julie went to architecture school. She worked in an architecture firm for a decade, and then she went off on her own. She worked in retail shops here in San Francisco and started learning and creating ceramics. Today, she's a ceramics artist. She makes amazing pottery. She makes fine art sculpture as well. And I talked to Julie about her practice, about the process of creating ceramics, and about her journey to being an independent artist. So let's get started with my conversation with Julie Cloutier. Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you are a ceramic artist. You do a mix of commercial work and you also have your own sculpture and sculptor practice for more of the fine art side of things. Tell me a little bit about what your mix of work is like these days. I know you just moved to Tamales outside the city and you've got a space. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your work. Um, I guess my work is um, a kind of straddle between making functional work and non-functional work, whether that's sculptures or not. So I spend most of my days splitting between uh, making like wholesale orders for local shops and a few international shops and then also making work um, for my website and doing a few sales. Awesome. Yeah. And how did you make your first kind of sales at these shops? Because you make these beautiful bowls and plates. And I know you worked at some retail locations before you kind of went all in on mm -hmm. ceramics. How did you get your first sale? Um, I guess when I was working at General Store, I was managing the shop and helping, um, helping Serena with, with kind of behind the scenes work there. And that's um, uh, a, a wonderful store in the Outer Sunset here in San Francisco. Yes, yes. Um, it's a great little neighborhood shop. And I lived in that neighborhood, so it was just perfect for me um, when I was in between like my architecture job and other stuff. So I was taking ceramic classes while I was working there. And uh, she, um, Serena, who's the store owner, was just, you know, so supportive and wanted to sell my work there. And I didn't feel quite ready. I was like, no, it's not good enough yet. So, Because you were just um, starting out. Yeah, I was just starting out. And it, yeah. was, it was just a hobby, really. I mean, it was a passionate hobby that I kind of worked at, um, you know, almost every morning for a few years. Like every day I'd go in and like work on it, then go to work. So, yeah, I never really set out to do ceramics full time. And then it got into the store and people started to, to take an interest? Yeah. Yeah, the response was good, and uh, a lot of people were reaching out. I mean, I didn't really, I didn't really reach out to anybody, so <laughs> <laughs> it was very organic. Yeah, I feel like that's sometimes a very typical artist story. You know, it's like being really good at the making and not always being overly focused on the kind of promoting aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. And so, before you worked in these stores and got into ceramics, you got an architecture degree at. CCA, California College of the Arts, mm -hmm. and you worked for many years with Bruce Tom. And 
tell me about your interest in architecture and how long you were you were doing that for and what school was like. And I definitely want to talk about that kind of transition of being like, well, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do architecture mm -hmm, anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go work in these shops and kind of sort out my life. But first, tell me about architecture and kind architecture. of that role that um, played in your life. Yeah. So I got an undergrad in architecture and I got a master's degree also in architecture and uh, and then basically worked um, at this one small office for five years. So I was basically in the architecture world for like a decade. Um, pretty much loved every minute of it until I just couldn't stand working at a computer every day. <laughs> and you were working on more residential projects? Yeah, I was working okay. on some small residential projects uh, in here in San Francisco. Yeah. What aspect of the design would you be... Kind of I was kind on. of part of every step of the way, but kind of facilitating through um, architectural drawings on the computer. But yeah, I worked from, it was a very small office. So, you know, half of the, half of the, the a couple years, uh, I was kind of the only employee there. And so at a certain point, you just got tired of being on the computer and did you just pack it up, quit, and then start to figure it out? Or did you make a kind of game plan you know, before you planned your escape? Yeah, well, I was, I mean, this was a couple months before I turned 30. And I... Um, Which is a good kind of milestone, is that what you say? To, yeah, I like... To be like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I was... Um, he was going to close up the office because he didn't have any more projects. So me and a couple other people were laid off. And I was thrilled i mean because there's like the past year i had been uh not loving it as much yeah the i was layoff, really into it before but yeah and the layoff seems like this uh this push that yeah uh, and maybe i should have quit a year before but i just couldn't really do it right I wasn't right. even sure what to do next did you have any plan after you got laid off or did you just say well i need to start making money let me see if there's some shops i can i can start working in there was um there was no plan. There really wasn't. I just knew I didn't want to apply to architecture jobs. Right, which would have been the most kind of logical next step yeah. or opportunity yeah, for Yeah, everyone to... was like, oh, so what are you going to do next? And it's like, not architecture. <laughs> I was really confident about that. Were but... they surprised or were you kind of showing signs at the office of uh, of kind of like... I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they always knew I was doing other art projects and had other interests too, but... Yeah. I didn't really know that where that would lead me. And, you know, I, I was doing like some graphic design and some projects, but that wouldn't involve, you know, more computer work. So right. I was like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, so how did you, how did you land in? in so yeah, so I sent an email um, to friends and friends of friends saying, these are the things I'm good at. And these are the things I like to do. And this is what I want to do. And it was mostly just to like get, uh, you know, like temporary work, work for just like a few months or not like a, not a full on career out of that. Yeah. Just to see. And did you think what else to do while I figure it out? Right. And so did you kind of go through and try out a lot of other kind of creative mediums as you were working at these retail shops? Like how did you find ceramics to be the well, thing? Like, that so ceramics that past year where I was kind of struggling at the architecture office. I mean, struggling yeah. was, nobody would know I was unhappy, but I was kind of unhappy. Yeah, internal I turmoil. had been taking ceramic classes already by then. Okay. Um, because it was just something that 
was appealing to you? And it you was appealing to-, to me. I wanted to just work with my hands. Uh, right. It's kind of the exact opposite. It's the exact of opposite. Yeah. The computer work. And so once you started to take classes, you start to realize I really love this. I just really liked it. And I just never stopped signing up for classes. I just kept on just kept on doing it. Yeah. And you talked about kind of drawing and, and now working with your hands so much growing up. So you you were here for graduate school. You went to University of Boulder for college. You're French-Canadian. You're from Quebec. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of growing up and the the interests you had. Were you drawing a lot? Were you making things with your hands? Mm-hmm. Were you also really good at kind of math and science and that led you into architecture? Tell me about kind of what it was like kind of as a kid growing up creative. Yeah, always drawing. You know, I always had like a craft room and was just drawing and, and playing and, and, jo- and envisioning like what my dream room would be like or what my dream house wants to be like. You know, right, when I was like right. 10, I had like almost architecture plans, you know, <laughs> and like elevation drawings. That's uh, awesome. And then in painting, I did a lot of painting when I was younger, which is something I want to get back into. Cool. Uh, but well, we moved around a lot. So I, you know, it was easy to just, uh, you know, always have my colored pencils with me. Right. And so you moved around a lot within Canada or you came to the States uh, as well then? Canada and the U.S. It was kind of both. We were just a little bit everywhere. Okay. And when you came here for uh, for college, is that when you were, you kind of realized, well, I'm just going to stay in the States or did that just evolve? Um, it evolved, but I also was just, inter- you know, I liked it here when I came to San Francisco for grad school and I had never really stayed in one place for several years. So, um, you know, I thought that'd be nice to just see what that feels like. Hey guys, I want to tell you about my next event for Making Ways. I'm so excited to be a part of the Invisible Talks conference on January 11th. I'm going to be interviewing Jesse Gannett, who is the CEO of Lumi, a startup that is revolutionizing packaging and the packaging process for brands. And I'm so excited to be joining this conference. It's all about the creative process. And there's going to be people there from IDEO and Pinterest, and there's going to be artists and folks from Autodesk and so many other places talking about their process in ways that are really going to give you the tools you need to succeed in your job, whether you work in design or business or you've got your own thing going. It's on January 11th, and if you go to invisibletalks.com, you can grab a ticket there, and if you use the code INVISIBLEFRIEND, you can get 10% off. I would love to see you there. I think it's really going to be an amazing conference. Ariana Orland, who was on the show, is the one who put this whole thing together, and I think it's going to be very inspiring and a day that's going to be very valuable for me. I'm excited to be there and for everybody in attendance, and I look forward to seeing you there. So check out InvisibleTalks.com and grab a ticket. Okay, let's get back to the show. I'd like to talk about the process of ceramics because I know very little about Mm -hmm. it. And I'd like to understand a little bit about the steps you have to go through. We were talking earlier about how you you live in Tamales now and you're actually, you travel to Berkeley to fire your, your pieces. But, you know, Talk me through kind of the basics it's of It's a very creating. long process, which is also kind of why I like it. There's a lot of waiting time, and the clay kind of decides when it's ready. Um, it's a very forgiving medium or um, not so much? 
It depends. I mean, I feel like clay has a memory. And so if something kind of happened to that part of the material, like it kind of shows up kind of, you know, it shows up later in the work. But <laughs> That's interesting. Um, well, yeah. Tell me about the process. The process, it's, it's so physical. A lot of people think it's very relaxing, but it's <laughs> physical. It's backbreaking. It's like, it's, it's hard work. We've been, um, you know, people were ingrained with the, the ghost I know, uh, scene, I know. you know, it's all just like romance and, you know, easy, yeah, easy no, You're it. just like always dirty. You're always <laughs> dusty. Um, but the material of clay, um, I just love working with it. Um, and it involves, you know, just from start to finish is, you know, wedging and throwing and trimming and you, I recycle my clay, which is a, a cool part that you can do. And then there's a bisque firing stage. So, the, but do you approach it with kind of designs and drawings in mind, or do you just create um, and your style emerges? You know, I don't really do any drawings before. Um, but I guess when I first started, once I once I started on the wheel, it was it was more about like, okay, I'm going to make a bowl, and I'm just going to keep making bowls until my bowls are good enough. Okay. Um, and I wanted to make sculptures very early on, but I was like, I can't make sculptures if I don't know how to make a good bowl <laughs> right. on the wheel. I mean, you can still make sculptures without, but for me, I like kind of need, I like to, I like to know what I'm doing before. Yeah. Um, so I would just tackle like one kind of item and just like repeat it over and over and that's how you get better at it. Yeah. And so then take me through the end of the, the, the process there. So, um... Once you're on the wheel, uh, you let it dry, you bisque fire it, then you glaze it and you fire it again. And I do, um, the work I do is, um, is stoneware and it's high fire in a gas kiln. What does stoneware mean? Stoneware is, um, it's a clay, um, that can be fired at the highest temperature, like 2,300 degrees. Okay. It's basically, you know, a rock. And so tell me about this recent collaboration you had with George McCallman, the illustrator and designer. I know you said you haven't done too many collaborations before, but what was that experience like? And, and talk about the project itself, too. Yeah, so George uh, reached out to me out of the blue, just sent me an email, said he had some ideas for a collaboration and wanted to meet up. And uh, I wasn't quite sure if... My work was gonna translate with his, you know, with his style, and um, but I just said yes. You know, I met, I had George come over. We had a studio visit. Definitely yes on the spot. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. And I had seen some of his um, his cup collection. Like he would draw with pen on these paper cups. Yeah, and I love them. Um, and so we just. We just kind of went from there where we wanted to make a small limited edition series. I think we only made 20 cups. Okay. Um, 20 cups and he would illustrate them mostly through carving. So he's not necessarily drawing on them, but he's carving and removing the clay. Okay. And so at what point in the process does that happen? Like when, when's the handoff and hand back? And I know. All that? So it's, it, there's like a short amount of window right. uh, that he's, so he was, he had to move his schedule around a little bit to like come over and, right. and spend uh, several days in the studio to carve. So basically, like, it, it needed to be a certain amount wet. 
firm yeah, to, to but get still in. firm enough to hold, <laughs> right? Because you can't like squish it too much. So. <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, he would hold it in his hands. Yeah, hold it in his hands, right, and, and and turn it as he went along. And each one is very different. Okay. Um, and so I threw the cups for him, and kind of gave him the tools, showed him like you can do this or you can do that or you know, test it out. And his were definitely very different than what I was kind of showing him. He kind of owned the tools, which was great. Wow. Um, and so while he was illustrating them, carving them, um, I just kept on throwing my other like orders. So we were working next to each other. Yeah. Um, and we would talk about him as he would like finish a cup or. I love that. Or look at it. Yeah. And what about your fine artwork? Cause I know you're really passionate about sculpting and your work as a sculptor. Mm-hmm. Where does that emerge for you? Like where, where does the inspiration to create on that side come from? Yeah. I think my sculptures, these, I make like hundreds of these tiny little clay sculptures and they kind of grow into a larger collection. I guess it's all about play, you know, it's like what makes me happy. Yeah. Um, so I make a bunch of these little pieces and then I play with them afterwards. Like I kind of try to figure out like what goes where and how much. And so there's a lot of arranging and moving and uh, are they like organic form shapes or w- um, what are they're, they like? They're pretty, they're tightly controlled. I mean, they're small little pieces thrown on the wheel, um, but they're all unique. Uh, yeah. And they're kind of abstract forms and shapes. Yeah, they're abstract. Yeah, they're, they're non-functional pieces. I mean, you could technically put liquid in them, but uh, yeah, they're not vessels. So. Right, right. And what is your hope with that kind of side of your your work? Is it is it galleries? Is it selling to individual collectors? I, I mean, if I could sell only sculptures instead of like pottery, I think that would be great. Or maybe, uh, you know, I feel like right now I probably sell ten percent, fifteen percent sculptures and the rest is, you know, the pottery. Yeah. Um, so if that was flipped, I think that would be just fantastic. But, um, and that's just because that's, that's calling to you. Yeah. That's just what makes me the happiest, but it also informs the pottery and the pottery informs the sculptures. So they're, they definitely kind of need each other. When you look back at kind of where you were in the architecture side of your career and stuck at the desk and where you are today, you know, working with your hands all the time, kind of saying, yes, I'm being creative making these bowls, but I want to push it even further and ideally want to go into more of the pure art mm-hmm. side of things. Do you feel good about kind of the risks that you've taken and the and the leaps and yeah. the transformation you've had? Yeah, I think if I, you know, just keep pushing myself to uh, to making things that aren't necessarily like sellable, but just things that I like making, I think is an important, uh, aspect that I need to, you know, focus more on. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what about a practical question? How do you approach kind of making it work from a financial standpoint and kind of job perspective? Yeah. Um, when there's orders that need to be fulfilled, um, you know, the sculptures definitely take a back seat and I might not even might not even make any for like two months. And that's when I start to be like, no, that's important. I need to still do those even when, uh, even when I'm making, you know, fulfilling the order. So, right. um, I guess, 
I don't know. How do I make it work? I, I'm very frugal. So <laughs> I think that helps. I like, I like constraints in a lot of different ways, even in my work too. I think I'm, I'm a better artist if I have less, less to handle or less to make decisions with. Yeah. And so those constraints are those things that clients are giving you or are those constraints you've given yourself through your process? Mostly things that I give myself. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can come up with all kinds of rules, <laughs> like really good at rules. Like, and you do that in your life and in your work Yeah. Yeah. in order to meet some kind of ends. Yeah. Like around what saving money or like being able to produce a certain amount yeah, of work. Both saving money or just spending. And then also, uh, just my time. Uh, yeah, I've got a, I'm not always like looking for the, the balance, but why not? I guess. Do you have any, uh, constraints <laughs> that listeners might, uh, take, uh, take value from in terms of time management and balance? Yeah. I, for me, a lot of, um, I often get like, oh, well, is it hard? Cause I work at home now. My studio is in my home. So a lot of times they, people think like, is it hard to work for yourself? Right. Is it hard to like go, get into the studio? And if I didn't like stop myself, I would just be working like 10 hours every day. But, um, because you love it because I love it. And I just, I like working. Uh, and, and it's also satisfying when, when there is an order, you like want to do it. You want to finish it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm actually trying to, work a little less. So you, yeah, you put constraints on the other side. So what, what does that look like? I guess, what do you say to yourself? In like, terms of like schedule or? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what are the constraints you said? Um, like, are you, are you strict? Do you say like, do you write a note and put it on the wall? Do you I like, I make hours? a new calendar basically every week. I've got like a 30 day calendar that I change up all the time. And so it's like, this will be my day off and I will not go in the studio. Like I'll close the doors. I don't go in there. So every you have a 30-day calendar, and every day you update that 30-day calendar? Maybe not every day, but very often. I'll, like, just redraw it. And I, it's just a, it's a drawing? Yeah, I draw the calendar. I don't, like, actually use a calendar, but I... So, like, on Monday, you'll draw out the whole calendar. You'll fill it in, and let's say on Tuesday or Wednesday, you will draw a brand new 30 day calendar yep. and you'll fill it in and you'll throw out that one. From yeah. Before. It's like rev constant revision. Wow. Is yeah. there, is there something to the ritual <laughs> of recreating that calendar that you think is like kind of almost like a meditative way of like instilling yeah. your goals? Yeah. It's kind of like a visual map, I guess, of like my to-do list, but it's spread out on like days. Uh, yeah, and I do it on trace paper, which is like how I would sketch in architecture school also. Yeah, yeah. So I lay them on top of each other. I mean, they don't need to be laid on top of each other, but... But that way you can be like, oh, yeah, that one I want to carry over. This one I don't. Yeah. And yeah. have you ever looked at it? Do, do you, like, take pictures of the the previous ones and, like, keep no, them in an no, archive? No, no, I just throw them out. <laughs> do you have any interest in, in kind of cataloging those? Them? Yeah, I guess I would. It could be um, interesting to, like... Put it on like a speed speed yeah. animation, see the evolution. I know, I know. It's like, through. and things are always repeated. It's like I, I go in these like throw, throw, trim, like repetitions. What does know? that mean? So I'll throw on the wheel for two days. Okay. And then the third day I trim everything that I threw on those two days. Trim mean, means actually kind of like cleaning up. The cleaning up the, like where the foot is. So I'll flip it over 
and then I'll make like a an even bottom. Okay. Yeah. And have you ever done one of these kind of calendar projections for like a year or five years or 10 years? Sometimes I do like a seasonal one, like a, a three month yeah. one, but that just gets changed like right away. <laughs> right, right. Um, is, is kind of being fluid and, and open to kind of going with the flow just part of how you've always been or specific to kind of being an artist now? I, I think I've always been like that. I mean, I do, you know, if I miss a, a day, if I'm off by something, it's not a big deal. Just switch it up. But often just by putting it down, I'll like, I'll get it done. Yeah. And a lot of it is about um, the time off, putting that in the calendar, you know, well, it's like, got to finish all this before Tuesday. Right, right. Because I don't want to work Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's great. That's another, that's the constraint, right? Like it has to be done because I need to respect, you know, my past self's vision yeah. for, uh, for the time yeah, off that and I it, need. And it helps to have my husband who's like, so what, when are you not working? Like what day? Right. And he's, he always pushes like two days off in a row. <laughs> and I don't always do that, but sometimes I do. Yeah. And that feels energizing too. Yeah. And during this time, or I guess maybe any time in your career, have you gotten advice about pursuing this more creative path that kind of stuck with you or helped you kind of push through? Or was it always more of like an internal drive? I think just internal drive. Yeah. I remember when I was laid off from architecture school, my parents were like, so what jobs are you applying to? And from, like, from the architecture job? From the architecture job. I was yeah. like, I'm not applying to those. And they're just like, oh, well, you went to school for that. You know? <laughs> but even did you in, have to did you have to explain? Was there pressure from them? Or? No, they're very supportive. But, yeah. you know, they would ask like, oh, you know, what's your game plan? <laughs> right, right. Um, but they're like the most supportive people. So so that really helps. But in, even in grad school, one of the main reasons I went to CCA was to take all these other electives to be around other artists and other creative things. So I took like typography courses and. And, and uh, garment structures and was able to just always wanted to do other other creative art projects. Yeah. Always projects. Yeah, yeah. And do you have advice for people who are out there listening who they want to start their own projects or they want to start dabbling and they're sick of sitting at the computer too? Yeah. But they're I mean, a little scared. I mean, maybe, maybe like you were a bit, right? They don't necessarily... They haven't had that forcing function, you know, that that kind of got you to to jump. Um, yeah. What would you say? I think the more hobbies, the better. I don't know because <laughs> clay was a hobby for me for several years. I was passionate about it, but um, I think just always having these other um, projects that you just love doing, whether you make money from it or not. Um, I, I never set out to like make money from ceramics. I just evolved into that, but now that I do clay, you know, full time, I'm finding myself, I need to find these other hobbies too. Um, so I'm doing more, uh, trying to do some more painting. I love to get back into painting and I'm learning how to play the guitar. Awesome. Um, just started a month ago. Nice. <laughs> and, and I think, yeah, just always to have this other, this other thing on the side that you love doing. And, I also don't think I'm going to be doing clay forever. I kind of envision maybe having another, like a career every decade. That sounds like really exciting to me. So I don't know. I think just be loose and also like rigorous at the same time. 
It's really exciting. And I love your openness to it all. And the idea that you're just going to let the exploration kind of drive where you go next. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Julie, for joining the show. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay, that was my conversation with Julie Cloutier. Julie, thank you so much for joining the show. I really enjoyed the conversation and it was great to meet you. And if you want to order her ceramics and pottery from anywhere, you can go to cloutierceramics.com. And that's C-L-O-U-T-I-E-R, ceramics.com. If you guys haven't signed up for the Making Ways newsletter on makingways.co, head on over there, sign up. I'm always sharing new episodes, illustrations, articles, and events with you guys first. Also, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. It is such a powerful way you can make a difference in getting the word out on this podcast. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix, too. You can follow Making Ways on all the social media and say hi to us there. I love hearing from you guys, hearing your suggestion for guests, hearing about what you learned from the episodes, and just interacting with you there. So thanks so much for your love and support. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.